Hello, readers. Marty Smith is an ESPN reporter and host who covers every major sport for the network. He also co-hosts Marty and McGee on ESPN Radio, and he's a published author. The book is called Never Settle, Sports, Family, and the American Soul. Marty, thank you for the time. How's it going today? I am fantastic. How's Austin? Austin is uh, Austin. is Austin. It's pretty hot right now, but we wouldn't want to live anywhere else. One of the best towns in this country, man. You guys are fortunate to live there, boy. I love it there. You tell a lot of good stories in this book, Marty. Do you have a favorite story from your time in and around Austin? Um, I would have to say one of my favorites was, I've seen a few concerts there, I'll say that. So I enjoy that, but uh, last year, man, I had the opportunity to have some uh, old Texas barbecue made for me by Mo Quezon. Y'all know who that is? Mo Quezon. And, uh, yeah, he's like a real famous barbecue guy. Okay. If you're barbecue people, you know about Mo. And uh, so we had fun doing that, but it's just such an authentic town. That's what I love about it, man. It's, 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 now it's growing like crazy, but it's such an authentic place, and I love it. And, and UT being the, the center point of it and everything that's going on there, I really like what Coach Herman's doing. I uh, I love that place. Y'all are fortunate to live there. Oh, we love it. And yeah, Mo Quezon's the guy on TV, right? He's got that barbecue yeah. pitmaster show. That mm. would be him. All yes, right. Sir. Just just wanted to make sure I had Man, that one I right. What he's doing? Let me tell you what. <laughs> well, Marty, speaking of opportunity, I had the opportunity to uh, read this great new book over the last week. Got an advanced copy in preparation for this interview, and uh, loved all the stories you told and all the different ways that you connected every different chapter. I was also interested to uh, find out that your philosophy in writing this book was to have it replicate a record album. How so? Yeah, yeah it, it, you know, there's an ages-old methodology to writing books. It builds chapter upon chapter towards some sort of climax, right? And they've only been doing that since the beginning of time. <laughs> but I wanted to write a record album, and by that I mean each chapter is an individual track. If you think about a record each track can stand alone and be impactful on its own accord. But if done well and packaged well together, the entire series of tracks meld together to take you on a thematic journey and hopefully are impactful therein. And that's what I wanted to do because I write about everything from my relationship with my wife to uh, to changing jobs you know, after, after all these years. Uh, when ESPN decided that uh, they wanted me in college football and how Laney and I made our way through that and being a father and losing my parents too young. And and then, of course, there's very vulnerable admissions from folks like Nick Saban and Tiger Woods and Michael Vick and Brandon Marshall and Tony Finau and all of these amazing athletes that we all admire so much uh, who I've had the great opportunity to humanize. So each one of those can stand by themselves, but together, packaged well, I hope, they, I wanted to kind of find how sport helps us find the American soul. Because in this country, it is every bit an important part of that. Absolutely. And Marty, you, you mentioned your philosophy, your sort of methodology for putting this book together, but the origin, the idea to write a book in general, was this something that you've thought about for a long time, or what was there a certain moment that kind of spurned your, your, your efforts and your desire to write a book? How did this all come about? I always wanted to. Now, what, what a lot of people may not know, I mean, you guys see me on, on uh, Game Day or Sports Center, or this fall I'll be doing SEC Nation. Um, you know me as a TV guy. 
I'm a writer. That's what I am. It's what I studied in, in college. It's what I was for the first seven years of my career. And I love the written word, whether that is long-form journalism, whether that is songwriting, which I think is the most amazing skill. Um, I love it, and I've wanted to do it. But God's funny. I was not ready to do it until I got the opportunity to do it. And I find that to be so interesting, and I'm so appreciative that I got this chance. And any writing worth it, so I'll tell you guys this. I'm a little bit anxious today. I mean, the book is out right now. And I've been waiting on this this date for more than a year, anticipating it. And I have so many friends in music. As you guys saw, Eric Church is my best friend. He wrote the forward. Mm -hmm. But they've always told me that when you make a record album, if it's worth its salt, you're vulnerable in it. And you're putting this energy, whether that's joy, pain, euphoria, triumph, failure, whatever that is, you're putting yourself in there. And therefore, you're disseminating that to the consumer. And there's a little bit of vulnerability, a lot of vulnerability that comes with that. But anything worth its salt is vulnerable and it's relatable. And I I think this book is, and I certainly hope it is for those of you who buy it. Thank you. Marty, I have to agree with uh, your sentiment right there. I didn't know what to expect out of you as a writer, but uh, I thought you did a fantastic job, and it's uh, very evident that you got your start in journalism on the writing side of things after reading this book. And while you do uh, tell some really cool stories about a variety of big-name people in sports and beyond, you also tell stories about people that uh, folks may not be as familiar with. So I wanted to ask you uh, about your friend Olivia. Who was (laughs) Olivia, and what did she mean to you? So interesting. I, I just said this earlier on uh, the Golik and Wingo show because it's very evident to me, guys, that despite all those big names in the book, she's going to be she's going to be the most memorable piece of this because anyone with whom I've spoken mentions her. Special Olympics athlete uh, had autism, and I met her in two, that summer of 2015. And she immediately and dramatically changed my worldview. She impacted me as a man. She made me a better man. She made me demand of myself to be that empathetic soul and to live with my eyes and ears open because there are beautiful stories everywhere, global stories everywhere. She was, she became, uh, a global movement. She was voted one of the 25 most influential women in sport that year. And I put the entire reasoning thereof in the book. And I promise you, when you read that chapter, guys, you better pack your Kleenexes. Yeah, it's uh, definitely tugs at the heartstrings for sure. And I'm going to ask you about something a little bit lighter because uh, Olivia is a very heavy and important topic. But what does going dirty America on him mean? <laughs> uh, we were at the Great Wall of China. And we only had a few minutes to capture the essence of this wonder of the world, quite literally. And we were in this, we, we, ate, we, were, we managed to capture it, and we were in this really long line. And it's not easy to get to the Great Wall of China, y'all. You don't just get out of the van and walk <laughs> the wall. You've got to go up a mountain, and then you've got to get on a ski lift to go even further up a mountain. And we only had seven minutes. And my producer, as we realized that we were going to be late, if we did not pass much of the line, said, boys, it's time to go dirty America on them. And I can't wait for you guys to read what exactly that means. But it was clairvoyant. 
Nobody had to say anything else. We all knew what that meant in, in that moment. <laughs> turned on the red light, and we faked a little bit of TV, I will say. Marty, you talk about this a little bit in the book, but you've got a, a distant relative, a great-grandfather, who apparently had a, a strong hand in, in inventing Jack Daniels. Would you care great, to great. Uh, elaborate that story a little bit for us, sir? Yeah, my great-great-grandfather was Dan Call. Uh, he was a preacher man in Tennessee in the 1800s, and he made a little whiskey out back. And uh, there came a time when he needed to choose the faith or the fermentation. And um, he had there was a, a young boy who he had kind of taken under his wing at the country store. And when it came time to make that decision, he sold the, the distillery to that boy, and that boy was Jack Daniel, and the rest is history. And look, like I write in a book there, it ain't like I've gone on to Ancestry.com and looked all this up, but my <laughs> grandfather was the preacher man in George S. Patton's Third Army. And I don't know that he ever had a single drink. And he was the most gracious, most most godly, in a functional sense, man I've ever known. He welcomed all comers. Race, creed, religion didn't matter. So I can't imagine that he would fib to us about that. Mm-hmm. and uh, it's all in a book. It's all there in writing, and he gave me his tattered copy, and it's all highlighted, and he was very, very proud to tell that story. So, yeah, people are going to trip on that, too. That's pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and the story you tell about Papa Jim and his time during World War II is uh, also something that is uh, well worth reading. read. It appears Unbelievable, at the, right? near the like, end of the book. That's That's some crazy stuff, for sure. We are so fortunate to live in this land. I know we have our issues we do but we especially what the greatest generation did for us if they did not sacrifice for us in the way that they did we definitely wouldn't have the ability to aspire the way we do right now and go walk out the door and be what we want to be our land would not look like it looks if they did not go overseas and do what they did for us and i'm so appreciative no question. Now, Nick Saban makes multiple appearances in this book. In Chapter 1, you're sitting there about to uh, jump off of a uh, 40-foot-high drop into uh, a lake at Nick Saban's lake house with Tim Tebow right there as well. They go first, and you nearly land on top of them when you go second. Uh, but later on in the book, you're writing about asking Nick Saban about the process, his process. And paraphrase, his response was the process is the emotional and physical development to become the most prepared, most accountable version of himself so that the man next to him can do the same, becoming a movement toward an unyielding standard of team excellence. Hearing Nick Saban talk about emotional development strikes me as interesting because he seems emotionally aloof, for a lack of a better term, <laughs> certainly with the media, but even with his assistant coaches and players. Is he more emotionally connected than we realize, and how does he help his players to develop emotionally? I think he's grown that way. Um, I think he's trying to to become more and more so now. That's why I wanted to write that chapter the way I did. I let him tell that story in that chapter. I simply was the guy that put it on paper. And how, look, I mean, he has said to me in the past, man, I brought my daughters once to college game day. And he was so impressed by that and said, man, make sure you keep doing that. Make sure that you're a present father that way. And I found that to be so interesting because he was so consumed with football. And, 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 and he is. I mean, he is. He's consumed with football. That he's aware that 
that's what you should do. And I think in that chapter, people are going to see a version of Coach Saban that they've not seen before. And that's one reason I chose to write it, because Tim and I went to his lake house, and we saw him completely disarmed. I'd never seen him like this. I mean, like you're saying, we see him yelling, yelling at Lane Kiffin. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what we see on TV. We don't see a guy in board shorts who takes a bath in Lake Burton every day. <laughs> <laughs> who has a big smile on his face. And I've, gotten, I've had the blessing of telling many of those stories with him. Y'all remember that story I did with the basketball league? Did y'all ever see that story? The NBA, the Noontime Basketball Association? No. Completely different dude. YouTube it. It's a whole lot. Oh, yes, I do remember that, where he was playing in the basketball league with, uh, with a bunch of people around Tuscaloosa, right? And it was just with his unbelievable yeah. 2004 staff, which was Will Muschamp, Jimbo Fisher, Derek Dooley, Adam Gase. They were all on that staff. And they played these hellacious noontime basketball games. <laughs> yep. And he still does it. And it was so funny. So I've gotten the opportunity to, to kind of humanize him a little bit as much as you can. And I look forward to the readers seeing that, reading that, and being put immersed in that moment because I had the good fortune of doing it. Not many people get that chance. You're a big believer in the power of a simple question. You've spoken with a lot of big-time people, some of whom you share stories about and never settle. Saban, Tebow, Ronaldo, Dale Jr., just to name a few. You named some others earlier in this conversation. What is the key to a good question other than keeping it simple? It needs to be open-ended. There needs to be, it needs to be a fair, open-ended question that lets them tell you their story. And then you got to listen. Listening is so vital. Like, watch Tom Rinaldi. Tom Rinaldi is the standard by which everybody's measured. Tom listens, and he asks why. He asks how. And that, invari- that, that follow-up, because you're listening, invariably will trigger a great response of depth. And that, honestly, that's attributable, but attributable, if I could learn how to speak for a living, attributable... <laughs> to ESPN. We we learned that here. And I'm I'm fortunate for that. I'm fortunate to have Tom's example and his ear. He's a great friend, an unbelievable colleague. And uh he throughout this book process, man, he's been an unbelievable he has a, a bestseller when he wrote the red bandana. If y'all haven't read that book, go read it. It's awesome. So yes, that's my philosophy. And whether it's Tiger or Coach Saban or Junior or whoever. Shut up and listen. You also tout the positive effects of handwritten letters. That's a big part of Mm -hmm. your belief system. You've written a lot of thank you notes over the years, literally to every person you've interviewed in the past decade. What's the most memorable handwritten letter you've ever received? Um, I've gotten a few back from different people, from the ones that I've written to tell them how much I appreciate their time because... As I state in the book, time is our rarest resource. It's the one thing that we can't get back and can't manufacture. It's here and it's gone, never to be held again. And these people are willing to give me that time. And so I'm so thankful for that. I've received thank you letters from, let me think about who, Jim Harbaugh, uh, Mike Krzyzewski, um Tom Izzo, some guys like that. And 
Dabo Sweeney, those types of folks have have sent me one back when I sent them one, and I'm very appreciative of that. But I will tell you the most important one. The most important letter I've ever received was from a young man that played at Michigan named Jack Dunaway. After I went to Rome, Italy with the Wolverines, I got a handwritten letter because I implored those young men to do that. Coach Harbaugh asked me to address the team before we left and flew home. Hmm. And I didn't know what to say. <laughs> and so I got up there and I kind of gave him a little bit of wisdom just from my, my failures in life and things I've learned. And Jack wrote me a letter and sent it to my house. And just his thoughts on how impactful it was to see a member of the media the way that we operated and how that impacted his his vision of what we do was very humbling to me. And I'm forever indebted to Jack for giving me that because it really kind of it kind of validated my approach. And I'm appreciative that he did that. Marty, I want to ask you about the title, specifically the Never Settle part of the title. Why did you decide to, to name your book that? And was there a certain moment or a couple of moments in your life that really taught you to never settle? I just kind of live that way. Um, Saban's always said that the greatest threat to excellence is complacency. It's the blatant disregard for doing what's right. And I kind of I kind of live that each day myself. I want to... I want to try to live in a way that is that is right, that is empathetic, that is fair, that is loving, that is when I do wrong that I'm asking for forgiveness because I have I have done things I want back desperately. But I believe this is the best version of myself. Look man, there's better reporters out there. There's people of acclaim. There's people who've won a ton of awards. There's certainly better-looking people. We all know that. <laughs> I'm going to tell you all something, fellas. I built a career on passion. I'm never going to be out-passioned. I'm never going to be outworked. Because as I told, told Trey and Mike this morning and Mike Jr., we control three things. We can control three things every day. We can control kindness, effort, and passion. And if we're giving every ounce of everything we got in those areas, then we're doing it. We're winning. And we're setting an example. That I, I want to be an example that my kids are proud of someday. One of the reason I wrote, reasons I wrote this book is because I want them to know their daddy in a way I didn't know my own. And I hope that this offers that for them someday. And Marty does talk about his relationship with his dad. It was not great as a child, but got better as a young adult. And uh, as he mentioned earlier in this conversation, both parents died way too young. And uh, it's just a fantastic read, folks. Cannot recommend this book enough. Never Settle, Sports Family in the American Soul. He is Marty Smith. You see his work all over ESPN, and now he has this great new book to add to his catalog of work. And Marty, thank you so much for the time today, man. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Marty. I appreciate your interest so much, guys. I love your city. Thanks for having me. Take care, Marty.